You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-errands pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. On Tour is a production of iHeartRadio and Black Barrel Media. I'm your host, Brian Ray. On this show, we'll take you behind the scenes of the music business to give you the most raw and real tales you've likely never heard before. We'll share our wildest, most unbelievable, and yes, most embarrassing moments while on tour. Today, I talk to someone who's more like family. I've known Eva Gardner since she was a kid. Her mother and father were both dear friends of mine, and it's been so fun witnessing Eva's journey in music all these years. Though she is the daughter of British rock royalty, bassist Kim Gardner, Eva was certainly not encouraged to follow in his footsteps. She paved her own way and landed gigs with some of the biggest names in music, Cher, Gwen Stefani, Moby, and has been touring with Pink for well over a decade. As we sat in my living room in Santa Monica, Eve and I reminisced over her years growing up with a very famous father, her adventures touring the world with three of the most badass women in music, and we end with her most embarrassing moment playing bass on stage with Pink, which honestly might be my favorite story of all time. Here's my conversation with Eva Gardner.
Geneva, welcome to my show. Well, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, at a young age, uh, for someone like you, uh, you have a pretty strong rock star resume. You've played with Pink, Cher, Gwen Stefani, Mars Volta, and a few names people just might know. So we're going to dive into all of that. Uh, let's give everyone a little background because this rock star thing is really in your blood. Your dad... Kim Gardner, someone I knew. He was a, around a group of friends that I really loved, uh, including your mom and Katie Segal and Freddie Beckmeyer over at Valentino's Old Estate on uh, Highland Avenue, I think it was. The villa, yeah. The villa, oh man, what a great memory. And he was an incredible bass player and played with icons like George Harrison, Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton, and the list goes on. And obviously he'll, he'll go down in history as one of the, the architects of early garage rock during the British invasion, playing with his band, The Creation, and also The Birds with Ronnie Wood. Mm -hmm. Well, you must be extremely proud of him, and I'm sure he was an inspiration to you. But I've also heard you talk before about how he didn't really support your dream of being a bass player early on when you first started. And uh, he wasn't the first to teach you bass. Who taught you to play? Yeah, so he wasn't that into the idea of me playing bass, but it was all I wanted to do because, you know, I looked up to my dad and I grew up hearing all these stories about him and all of his friends and touring with The Who and hanging out with Entwistle. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. So when I showed interest, he wasn't really that into the idea. And it was actually his best friend, Andy Johns, that gave me my first bass lesson. Is that right? Amazing. So you had had enough drive though to persevere and continue and was it that he did you think he was protective of you that he didn't want you to go through the biz or the you know the sex drugs and rock and roll of what's out there for yeah. us yeah I mean he was in it he was part of it he uh, was in that whole scene so I think part of it sure was possibly protective of his little girl and also protective of yeah the trials and tribulations of the music business in, in general and mm. all the things that come with it so I think it was probably a lot of reasons that he mm -hmm. didn't really want me to get into it but um, but I'm grateful for that because it made me realize that it's actually what I wanted to do. It wasn't just handed to me. Mm -hmm. It wasn't easy. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was told no. And um, being told no was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> That's so interesting. Yeah. Because you had to really develop a drive to do it all on your own without that sort of easy in of having a famous dad in the scene already. Mm -hmm. And what age was it that you first learned to, to play with Andy Johns? It wasn't until, um, gosh, it was, uh, I believe it would have been 90, let's see, I think I was 13 or 14. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. And Andy, of course, was a huge producer of many of the biggest acts in rock and roll. What was your favorite album that Andy Johns produced? I, I couldn't get enough of Led Zeppelin 4. I mean, yeah. that was my... Um, he engineered, he was, he got those drum sounds, those yeah. famous drum sounds, um, you know, when the levee breaks, that drum intro, I mean, I that know. was, that was him, that yeah. was Andy and, uh, they were just experimenting and, uh, you know, just kind of threw a bunch of stuff against the wall and see what stuck. And that was recorded in a stairwell in some kind of manor somewhere in England, yeah, was in it? in the countryside, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've seen pictures of it. It's like, no wonder it sounds like that. Natural This huge, big reverb. stairwell, yeah. And so when did your dad finally come around and start supporting your decision to to continue music. I had booked a gig at the Whiskey and my dad was like my first roadie. He was into it. He uh, rented me some gear from SIR because he knew all the guys there and uh, carried in my amp and helped me plug it in. And it was kind of at that moment that I realized like, okay, dad's okay with it. Like mm. he might even be proud of me. Wow. That's amazing. 
Yeah, and you just want to also watch out for you and be an escort the whole time. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. Watch out for the guitar player. And interestingly enough, that gig, we used to play shows with a band called Cars Flowers. Uh-huh. And that was one of those gigs at the Whiskey. And Cars Flowers later became Maroon 5. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Wow, who in that band was in Cars Flowers? Uh, well, it was it's Mickey, Jesse, and then Ryan was a drummer at the time mm-hmm. who knew our drummer. They were family friends, mm-hmm. so that was the connection. And Adam, the singer... He was singing lead at that yeah. time. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was pretty much the same guys. And then they started Maroon 5 and added some people down the line. But mm-hmm. um, but they were like you know, high school friends of ours, Very, LA kids, you know. What was that first gig like at the Whiskey? It was so much fun. And um, they asked us if they wanted us to record a VHS tape of it. And I think the drummer's dad said, yeah, sure, of course. And at the time, we didn't think much of it. But I, I still have that tape. And it's hilarious. We're all out of tune. And uh, we sound, it was all-girl band. I was... Um, at Winton All Girl Catholic High School. Oh, wow. So we did a lot of Go Go's covers and do um, two songs, and that's when I started writing original music. So mm. I remember tuning on stage like without a tuner. That's like one of the biggest things that I tell people now. Yeah. Get a tuner. First things first. First yeah. things first. But you're right. When I was a kid, I was hanging out at places like the Troubadour and the Ashgrove, and it was in the folk scene, in the uh, country and folk and even jug bands and stuff like that in the early 60s. Yes, I'm that old. And <laughs> all of the artists up there tuned by ear and yeah. tuned on stage. No one had a tuner back then. And it was part of your gig. It's like, can you keep the audience's attention while you do your tuning? While you do your tuning. You know, yeah. it's a, sort of a, it's a talent. And you'd hear someone like Tim Harden or... Um, you know, John Hartman or any of these guys, and they're like, well, I remember this one time, and it becomes a part of the patter, you know? The banter, yeah. So you were getting invitations around that time to tour while you were still in high school, like with the Wallflowers, and now that's, of course, a legendary band with Jacob Dylan. And clearly, at that time, you're doing fine, but what made you turn down that opportunity and decide to go to college? I remember getting a page on my pager and at my lunch time, I went to the payphone and called them back and they said they were finding people for this new band. And I didn't know who they were at the time. And I was also like, well, I have finals on Friday. So I, you know, I'm in school I, and I wanted to finish school. And I, mm. it's funny because my dad left school at 15. Like mm-hmm. those guys left school at a young age and just went on the road. And I thought that that's what I wanted to do. Mm. And I thought that's what was supposed to happen. But I realized, um, luckily, that the world had changed mm-hmm. and it was important to me to finish school. And I was also at music school and I was getting a really incredible experience there, being mm-hmm. exposed to just all different types of music mm-hmm. and different people, all kinds of genres and walks of life. And I just, in my gut felt that it was important for me to incubate longer mm-hmm. before yeah. getting out there and yeah. jumping ship. Let it marinate for a little while. Well, at least you're getting those offers. And you uh, you applied to L.A. County Music School, but then didn't get in. And why was that? Yeah, L.A. County High School for the Arts. And I auditioned and I didn't get in because I was playing the sort of, you know, the rebellious punk rock card where I didn't feel like I needed to learn how to read music because mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix didn't know how to read music and right. that whole scene. Mm-hmm. And so I uh, was playing the same the same game. And uh, when they asked me if I was learning how to read, I said, eh, not really. And I played some very abstract, off-the-wall, kind of ambiguous bass solo. Some art rock. Some art rock stuff. And I didn't get in. And I remember getting uh, the mail coming and I got the small envelope instead of the big the big envelope. And again, being told no. I mean, that was the best thing that ever happened to me because I decided to get on the horse and I, I learned the rules. 
Mm-hmm. And so my parents got me a teacher and I just dove into the other side of music, the more academic side, and I decided to try again. And you reapplied at the same school? Yep, I re-auditioned, same school, same teachers, uh-huh. but told them different answers that time. Yeah, and got the big envelope. And I got the big envelope. Oh, that's amazing. That's so cool. Good for you. So after you graduated from UCLA with a degree in ethnomusicology, which, in a sentence, what is that for people who may not know? Sure. Ethnomusicology is a study of world music and culture. It's a cross between musicology and anthropology. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, discusses the correlation between the two, Mm -hmm. um, how culture influences music and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was more of an academic uh, major, but I still, um, we were still required to do performance. And Mm -hmm. my performance I chose was, uh, I got really into Balinese music, Mm -hmm. um, Balinese gamelan. Mm -hmm. So that was my focus when I was there. And uh, just incredible to be there and be exposed to just different kinds of music and see what the rest of the world did. I mean, it's very different in the West, obviously. Mm -hmm. Priorities are different. And I feel like a lot of times we've moved away from why we started playing music, mm-hmm. why music came into our lives in the first place. And so it was really important, I think, um, for who I am as a person and a musician to come back to that mm-hmm. and uh, get that foundation too before I went off into the world and, mm-hmm. and started touring. Yeah, I would imagine in a way that you had more of a drive for a deeper understanding of music than what started your dad along that path. He probably wanted what most guys want when they're teenagers, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Right. And you were like, you know, this is something that I just love every aspect of, and I really want to know it more, and I want to master it and be really, really good at it. He probably, in a way, didn't understand that, I would imagine. Yeah, and I think that early on I had surpassed my father in what he knew technically, right, because I took the conservatorial approach, and I went to music school, and um, yeah, I think that was that was kind of tough. It was tough for him, and I, in a weird way, felt kind of bad because we couldn't communicate after a certain point. I mean, musically, we could communicate, right? Because we would play together and stuff. But I was going to school mm-hmm. for music and mm-hmm. was doing, went and taking a different path than he did. I mean, his path was perfect for him, though. I mean, yeah, at the sure time was. in the 60s, and that's what yeah. everybody was doing, all of his exactly. friends in London in the 60s. I mean, it was the birth of a lot of the, those early movements. Well, certainly, no one was reading music then. I mean, Paul McCartney doesn't read music. You know, he composes like crazy and he's an incredible arranger, but he talks openly about that and no one at that time did. Right. So it's just what you did at that time. So after school, you joined your first touring band, the Mars Volta, mm-hmm. an amazing band that all musicians know of. And they're not widely known outside of musicians as much as say someone like Cher or Pink, but they're really well respected. The experience had to be bittersweet because finally you're doing what you're dreamed of and uh, and prepared for all these years, and your dad was now recognizing your passion and supporting it, you were ready to head out on the road, but your father now had gotten sick and he contracted cancer. Talk to us a little bit of what that was like. Yeah, like you said, it was absolutely bittersweet. I mean, I was finally in my element as far as writing with a band, recording with a band, about to go on tour. And coming out of school, I met them while I was still in school, finishing my degree. But I was playing with these guys where they didn't know the rules. And it was a push and pull, right? Rules, no rules. Get back into your roots. And so I was writing with these guys and throwing all those rules out the window and just speaking from the heart again. And so I was in this really incredible place with this musical family. But the reason why I'm in that place in the first place... You 
know, was my father and he was on his deathbed mm. and I'm about to go on my first tour ever, which was like my dream come true. And he's literally in his bed dying and I was going to stay home and be with the family. And, and he said, no, get, what, are you, what are you talking about? Get out there, get out there and uh, do your thing. And I realized now looking back, it was at that very moment that he passed on the torch. Oh, that's very sweet. Oh. You know, that's crazy. I had a very similar um, experience, Eva. My dad, who was had emphysema, he and I had bonded in the last seven years of his life. And I was just getting a tour in France to go back out with Johnny Halliday. And uh, I knew that he was really declining quickly. And I, I said, I'm going to pass on the tour. And, and he said, I won't even hear that. No, you got to get on tour, just like your dad did for you. That's an amazing thing. I didn't know we shared that. Uh, and, of course, I did have a feeling that that was going to be the last time I saw my dad, and that was the case. I was somewhere in Carcassonne when I tried to call my dad, and I was on hold in the nursing station. I was on hold for minutes and came back on and said, I'm very sorry, but we've just lost your dad. He's just passed. Mm -hmm. That must have been so traumatic for you. God. It, it was. It was traumatic. And I, so I left, you know, I left on tour and he passed away three days later. Oh. I was in Georgia right after a show. And yeah, it was, it was difficult. You know, like you said, it was bittersweet. I was living my dream, but the person that I wanted to be there wasn't. Oh, God, I feel for you. Let's see. Let's go on to your, uh, after these, we're both crying over here. Let's talk about your first experience in an arena. Um, your father is certainly smiling down on you through your whole career, but your first arena experience, I'm sure he, he would have been especially proud of. You were with Tim Burgess of the Charlatans and you were opening for the Rolling Stones. Your father had opened for the Rolling Stones in the 60s and, uh, of course, was a friend and bandmate of Ronnie Wood. So how old were you then when you opened for the Stones with Tim Burgess? I was 24. That was my first arena gig ever was opening up for the Stones. <laughs> no. yeah, nice way to start. In England, yeah. Wow. And um, and it was just like this amazing full circle moment because I was sharing a stage with, with Ron Wood, who, you know, my dad and him were in their first band together. They lived in the same neighborhood. They were neighbors. Amazing. So uh, they grew up together. And yeah, it's just this wild moment. And then, of course, the creation opening up for the Stones in 1967. Just this really... A full circle moment. Really cool. Unbelievable. Like multiple full circles, yeah. And had you met Ronnie before? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, uh, so when you were a kid or something? When or? I was, yeah, I mean, because they were... come around. He'd come around and we, whenever we'd go to England, uh, we'd be sure to catch up with him. And I grew up with his son, Jesse. So we're very close and he was always a fixture in, in our lives. Mm. They shared a lot of their childhood together. Well, ladies and gentlemen, side note, if you haven't checked out the British birds spelled B-I-R-D-S as opposed to the California birds, B-Y-R-D-S, you must go check them out. And also the creation, two bands who are very important to the British invasion and to garage rock. And that's why the birds have a Y in their name, actually, the American birds. That's because right. Because of the original British birds. That's right. It's the other way around, right? Yeah. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates— Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Looking for a fabulous fashion brand that celebrates you? Then look no further than Boston Proper, where styles are designed with you in mind. So you can look and feel amazing, no matter the day, season, or occasion. At bostonproper.com, you'll find fashion that knows you best. For over 30 years, Boston Proper has been the fashion destination for confident women who want to elevate their look with unique, sophisticated clothing at affordable prices. Visit bostonproper.com today. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else. on to uh, your tours. It's safe to say you've played with three of the most badass women in music. Uh, um, what is, was your favorite thing about playing with each of them and how have your experiences with each of them been different? Let's say starting with Cher. Sure. Well, I mean, they're all different people, obviously. So, um, but they all are, like you said, a badass. So, I mean, my favorite thing about them is is probably that, that they are just such strong women. They're incredible role models and they're not afraid to have another woman on stage with them. Like some people are. I've not gotten gigs sometimes because the lead female singer didn't want the competition on stage, Mm -hmm. which is just so unfortunate Mm because it doesn't have to be like that. There's enough for everyone to go around, you know, and and, um, we should be supporting each other, lifting each other up. That's just such a a thing that I'm so grateful for that they all have. Uh, Cher, God, I mean, just what an icon, right? And actually... Actually, at our, at our very first show, my first show with, with her, Mom and Susan Antone were in the front row. and our they, old friend Susan. Uh, yeah, and they used to sing that song together, uh, I Got You Babe, to each other, because they met each other, as I think, at 12 years old. Yeah, they were deep-running buddies. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I'm just, Mom was there in the front row, like, while I'm playing this song, and it was just this really beautiful, again, the full circle thing, you know, just these family ties run so deep, and for me to be up on stage, actually... I met Cher several times when I was a kid. One of her right-hand people got married at the old Cat and Fiddle when it was on Laurel Canyon. So she was there at the wedding and I was that kid running around. And so I had known her as a young child. And then sharing the stage with her, being on her stage mm-hmm. and supporting her in that way as one of her musicians was was an incredible feeling. Mm, I can imagine that. Well, yeah, I, I remember seeing Sonny and Cher 
at Elysian Park. And it was classic Sonny and Cher. He was wearing the sheepskin vest. Mm-hmm. And she was wearing <laughs> the striped long bell bottoms. Yeah, it's just a big memory for me. I remember that. Well, what about uh, Gwen Stefani? Uh, again, another trendsetter, another just badass, incredibly creative and brave. And just it was so fun to play her songs and her music and be part of her thing too, because as much of a badass as she is, she's also like her music is very open and raw and she's talking about real things and real real life. And that really taught me a lot that it's okay to be, because, you know, I think especially with what I do and who I am and, and being a female in music, you have to have a thick skin mm-hmm. and you have to learn how to run with the guys and not really show your emotion. And playing with her and really digging into these songs and really mm-hmm. digging into to what these songs are about and what they mean, that really helped me open up also as an artist myself. So, yeah. I mean, just she's an inspiration in so many ways and getting to play in her band um, opened that other source of inspiration for me too. Yeah, well, I know so some of her songs really are coming from that place where she's speaking to other women about being a strong woman and, you know, I am just a girl. Mm-hmm. Come on. You know, it's, that's not what she's really saying. And, and uh, she's, you know, up there doing push-ups on stage and stuff like that. And also very, very expressive and very emotional and open. Yeah, I can imagine that was really fun. Were there other women in that band as well? Um, not when I was there. Really? Well, good for her for being strong enough to, as you say, you know, accept and invite another woman onto the stage with her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and now you've been with Pink for how long now? Gosh, it'll be 13 years. Amazing. Now, she's an amazing artist to me. What has it been like to be a part of that touring band? That touring band is uh, has been the same touring band since I started. Mm-hmm. I'm still one of the new kids in the group. Is and, that right? And uh, yeah, I mean, and, and me going on 13 years. I mean, that says a lot about about who she is and the people that she has around her. Mm-hmm. And it really is a family. It feels like a family. We all love each other and have so much respect for each other as musicians and as people. And um, just it's been an incredible, incredible time with her. And there's a lot of women in that band. There are. It's it's yeah. it's about it's it's about half. Uh-huh. half and half and it's weird because it's like even though we are uh you know there's men there's women there's this and that it's like but there's no you know the guys are amazing they support us and we support them there's no weirdness that happens in the music industry i think Mm -hmm. a lot of the time and things Mm -hmm. that i've heard things Mm -hmm. that i've seen things Mm -hmm. that have been told to me these backhanded compliments and things like that um that doesn't exist in that camp yeah that's great yeah and I know your audition with her uh, grew out of not getting a gig with a reality TV show. Talk about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I had tried out to be in the house band for a television show called uh-huh. Rockstar NXS. They were looking for a new singer for NXS. So I tried out and I got several callbacks and it turned out to be, it's funny because, you know, with those auditions with TV, it's not just the music, it's also well, it's how you look a lot of the time, but because it was there was casting as well, television casting, and I had I'm naturally dark dark haired, so I had my dark hair at the time, and the casting agent said, hmm, came up to me and kind of rubbed her chin and said, have you ever been a blonde? And I hadn't yet, and I said, well, I'm like, sure, I can be, you know, I yeah. can whatever. Um, but I think they wanted to go with someone with a different look or whatever it was. Didn't get that gig, and of course, you know, you're mortified. You think that's going to be your big break, and this is my opportunity of a lifetime, and. Uh, I ended up getting a call 
two years later from the MD, the musical director, Paul Merkovich, who also works with Pink. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, yeah, you know, um, remembered you from the audition two years ago and Pink's looking for a new bass player. Would you like to try out? Mm. I said, absolutely. You just never know how people are going to come back into your lives. That's right. When a no turns into another opportunity, yeah. you know. I, I've had the same sort of thing happen with me a couple of times. One was I accepted a gig to go play like a blues gig at some club, some bar in LA for 60 bucks to do three sets. And this was in the early 90s and after the Etta James thing had slowed down. And I, uh, I said yes, which is something I didn't usually do for a $60 blues gig. And I went down there and at the time of my life, it was so much fun. Three sets with a bunch of buddies, with other buddies in the audience. And I just said, I could have missed this whole thing, just staying home. It's not the $60. It's not that it's a little bit sort of, it feels like a downgrade to go play some you know, bar for 60 bucks. But the drummer of that gig was uh, playing with Rita Coolidge and was her MD. And after that, the next day asked me if I'd come up and do a, a gig with Rita Coolidge as a sub because their guitar player couldn't make it. And I, of course, turned into her guitar player for the next four years. So it's kind of like something that happens with us quite a lot. Yeah. You never just never know. Yeah, you never know. But that wasn't a great TV show anyway. I never ended up watching it, but yeah. Star in Excess. It kind of, you know, it's one of those that kind of broke my heart a little bit. So I never yeah. ended up watching it, but uh, you um, didn't miss a lot. But I know all the, I mean, the, you know, all the guys in, in the band and the house band, and they're all doing the voice now. But it's all part of that that great network, you and know, part of your story as well. So I've read somewhere that after you got the gig with Pink, you didn't actually meet her until you were going on stage and in a, some castle in Ireland, and you'd had a big experience before that, but this was a huge star, full-time gig, touring the world. Tell me what that was like, meeting her for the first time just before going on stage. The whole thing was a whirlwind, because I only had, uh, when Paul did eventually call me and tell me that I'd gotten the gig after auditioning, uh, he said, okay, so you got the gig, pack for three months, we'll send you four albums worth of material, and we'll see you in three days. So it was... Very, very quick turnaround. So I flew to Dublin and did a rehearsal with the band. And of course, the arrangements that I was given were not the live arrangements. Oh, so no. some of that stuff had changed. And so it was definitely a trial by fire. And I didn't even meet her until um, right before the gig, before soundtrack. Yeah, Malahide Castle, this huge, beautiful place in, um, near Dublin. And she gave me a big old hug and said, welcome to the family. And that was it. And then the rest is history. We so so let it. me get that straight. You did how many rehearsals before the first gig? One. And how many songs in the show? It was like a 90-minute set. Holy crap. That's crazy. Yeah. Hold on. Wow. Yeah. I, my, my, my first gig with Paul was uh, getting a call to go do the uh, Super Bowl, one song for the Super Bowl in 2002. And it was after giving Abe Laboriel the question, who's going to play bass when he plays piano and who's going to play guitar when he plays bass? And Abe said, we're looking for a guitar player who plays bass. And I put my hand up and got a phone call from uh, David Kahn, who had produced Paul's recent album, and got the call to just go down and meet with David Kahn. And that turned into you know, a call the next day saying, can you get on a plane tomorrow to go meet and play with Paul McCartney? And I'm like, wow, I think I can do that. Just thinking about this industry, it is so competitive, uh, but I love seeing so many strong women supporting each other. doesn't seem to be a sharing the spotlight issue with any of these women. 
Um, and you've spoken a little bit about that. Was that the same with Cher and Gwen? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, when you're when you're in the the line of the the hired gun thing, it's like you know your place, right? Mm-hmm. And you um, you're there to support the artists. You're there to do to do a job. You know, it's not it's not about you. It's about you playing a role to help the machine. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's never been an issue. And is Pink quite the leader? Does she keep the momentum going with the band? Does she keep the the sort of the mood high? Does she drive it? Yeah, well, it well sometimes it works. Sometimes it works both ways as well. You know, sometimes it's uh, if someone's not having a great day, it's up to the rest of us to lift them up and um, you know do what it takes to keep the energy high and mm-hmm. and um, and positive. What about pre-show traditions? Do you guys do any sort of prayers or? jamming or anything like sure, that? Sure, yeah. I mean, um, our guitar player usually is in the bathroom practicing. He I've seen his like Instagram. The, the bathroom yeah. jams, yeah. yeah. Blazing away. Um, and everyone's kind of got their own thing. A couple guys take naps. Um, the singers will do warm-ups and uh, the band girls started doing Qigong before shows, actually, on is our last right? show, which was really, really amazing. And then we all uh, end up doing a prayer with the boss before mm-hmm. we hit the stage. Everybody uh, who's on stage gathers right before and then hits it. These are massive live shows. Things go wrong. I mean, Pink especially has a crazy aerial and acrobatic show. Has anything ever gone wrong? And and how did you all recover from it? Yes, there's so many moving parts that absolutely things do go wrong. And depending on what it is, everyone just does their best to recover. Sometimes it's um, the tracks will go out, or sometimes uh, it's it's the rigging. Mm-hmm. Sometimes one of the the motors will go out for one of the contraptions she's on, and in those situations. I mean, everyone just works together to to make it as smooth as possible. Sometimes it's not so smooth. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sometimes yeah, sure. it's like uh, at the end of the day, we're trying to make it uh, so that the audience is still having a good experience, and mm-hmm. you know, nobody, nothing to see here, folks. Moving, moving right along, yeah, kind of yeah. a thing. Yeah, look over here. Look over here. It's yeah. time for a bass solo. <laughs> sometimes, Eva, take it. Sometimes our MD, God bless them, is like, oh, I guess I'm going to do an extended piano thing here. Okay, yeah. keep going. Just That's what the, you do. Give me the cue, and um, so it just depends on the situation. And uh, sometimes it's not so graceful. Sometimes it ends up working out, but it's just it's just the nature of those things when I you remember, have a yeah. show like that big. I, re- I remember seeing her uh, one time, at, I, I think it was at Staples Center where she had injured her shoulder or something and had to stand on stage for the song rather than do her It was very act. difficult yeah. for her. Yeah, yeah that was she's tough. such a trooper. Mm-hmm. I've always been curious how women like Pink and Sharon Gwen, who have a lot of full costume changes and are backstage so quickly, what sort of machine is going on back there to make all that happen? Yeah, well, there's the wardrobes back there. There's dressers. There's the audio guys that are back there making sure the packs are working, mm-hmm. um, the mics are working. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts, and there's a lot going on, a lot of people to make that well-old machine work. Um, it's a lot of elements. And then we're all on in-ears, and so everybody, everywhere, everyone on stage can uh, hear the MD, and the MD is communicating with the production manager, and, uh-huh. and uh, the sound guys are connected. Like, so everyone's connected. And it's like So it, to be clear, the MD is getting information from backstage saying yes. go or stretch or, for time. Or wait, there's some, the zipper broke. Right. Do something. But you're not here. hearing all that. We're not hearing that. The MD's hearing that. And the, the MD then tells you guys, you and know, the MD stretch or something. I'm going to play a piano message. solo or take it, Eva. Exactly. Yeah, that's a 
hilarious. Yeah. Well, and, and with a tour family like mine with Paul or yours with Pink, we're together 24-7 for months at a time. You guys hang out outside of the gigs when you're off tour or do you just in, enjoy your a la carte times off tour? We're hanging out all the time. Whether it's days off on tour, we're always hanging out. The boss is organizing movie nights. You know, mm-hmm. we're always doing stuff, which is great. But even when we're off tour... Um, we're hanging out for birthdays, barbecues, whatever it is. We just all really genuinely like each other. Oh, that's beautiful. We love each other. It's, it's, it really is like a family. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Looking for a fabulous fashion brand that celebrates you? Then look no further than Boston Proper, where styles are designed with you in mind. So you can look and feel amazing, no matter the day, season, or occasion. At bostonproper.com, you'll find fashion that knows you best. For over 30 years, Boston Proper has been the fashion destination for confident women who want to elevate their look with unique, sophisticated clothing at affordable prices. Visit bostonproper.com today. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else. wrap it up with our lightning round and we like to call the encore the non-glamorous side of what we do is the travel and you've been packed in a van with your mars volta days in a tour bus and flown all over the world what's the craziest travel story that's happened to you and was there ever a moment of is this really as fun as i thought it would be 
travel story. Gosh, I, the one that comes to mind is being stuck in Shanghai in an airport. And I'd never been there. No one speaks the language. It was, it was like, I just remember being very scared because we didn't know what was going on. And there might have been, someone might have had some sort of paraphernalia happening and not knowing if we were going to get out of, alive. Kind of kind of a thing. That's a little scary. <laughs> it's kind of scary. We're not naming names, no. dr- drummer. No. <laughs> It's always the drummer. Uh, but that was definitely like one of those moments where I do remember being a bit frightened because yeah. they weren't particularly nice. Oh, they would not approve of that. Yeah. No paraphernalia. Um, China. Yeah, Oof. China. No, or Japan. Yeah. Or Singapore. Never been to Singapore, actually. Yeah. But I can imagine. Oh, it's very clean. Uh, yeah. Oh, yes, that's right. You I, can get caned if you drop bubble gum on the street. That's the place. Now yeah. it's coming back to memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It hasn't happened to me, but uh, it does happen. Yeah. Well, it's been said that tragedy plus time equals humor. What's the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you on stage and how did you get through it? I remember one time during a show, I was in Spain at a club gig and for some reason I really thought it would be a good idea if I stuck my head in the bass drum while I was was playing. (laughs) I'm over here doing a spit take now. I just took a sip of water and it's now coming out of my nose. It it, it seemed like a great idea at the time and I... I, All bad ideas do. (laughs) They're ideas. So I proceeded to get down on the ground and put my head in the bass drum while the drummer was playing. Very loud music. (laughs) Um, And I might have gotten stuck. And oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is the best. I might have gotten stuck a little bit and I didn't because have... Because the, there's a, the hole, for there's those that, that don't know, there's a yes. hole cut into the drum head, which is sort of a mylar or a plastic thing that we all see in the front of the drum. Right. So you've now stuck your <laughs> head in there. Yeah, it's very loud. Um, yeah, and I... I <laughs> I had a not so graceful recovery. Oh no! I mean, coming out of that, yeah. Did you have to stop playing bass and then push your, push the drum away I, from I, you? I think I was actually quite impressed with with not having to stop playing. I think I figured that one out. Unbelievable! Yeah. Did anyone come to your rescue, or did they just no, let this happen? I don't, I, no, it just happened. It just did happened. Did anybody notice it and laugh? Not that I remember. I had my head in a drum. <laughs> I didn't see anybody. <laughs> I guess some of my most embarrassing times were being handed a guitar that wasn't on, and I was sure it was going to be oh. on in a second when I needed it, yeah. and it didn't come on. Yeah. So, I mean, but stuff happens. You have all these musicians on stage, and like you said, you have wireless packs, and you have cables, and you have wireless guitars, and it, it can get confusing. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of the technical things. Things go out, and I... I just remember, even on this last run, my wireless pack going out, my bass is completely out, and everyone kind of looks around, not really knowing what happened. Yeah. And I know it's me, yeah. um, but I'm just sitting there with a big old goofy smile on my face, dancing around, pretending nothing is wrong. I used that same smile when my wireless went out. Nothing to see here, folks. Is there any person that you've played with or met backstage that you've been completely starstruck by? What about that first time on stage when the Stones were headlining? Were you starstruck to meet Mick and Keith or had you met them before? I hadn't met, I might've met them when I was a kid, but not that I remember. I think that whole experience was just a complete, just surreal experience. And it was almost like it wasn't happening. We took pictures with the Stones backstage and I just had this goofy smile on my face. Like, like, is this happening? This is the best moment ever. And I remember watching the show from the side of the stage and watching Mick running around and, and just, it was amazing. Incredible show and an incredible 
incredible experience. We have that in common too. I got to open for them a bunch with Etta James when I was 24 years old. I thought, man, if this is as good as it gets, I'm I'm good. Yeah. 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 Did you know that Etta babysat me when I was a kid? Yeah, I remember that. I hadn't thought about that till right now. Yeah. That's amazing. Small world. Here, Etta, take care of this She's for a great bit. with kids. As wild as she was in her early days, she was a, a real family person. Okay, so if who would you just be like over the moon to meet? Even let's say they're not even with us anymore. I would definitely be over the moon to meet Jimi Hendrix. Mm-hmm. I think that would that would just be otherworldly because he's just such a fixture of my childhood and anyone who my dad jammed with him mm-hmm. back in the day and had amazing yeah. things to say about him because he was friends with Mitch and. Andy Johns, the way he used to talk about him, and he was like not of this world kind of a spirit. There's some other, there's some other stuff going on there that I resonate with, and I yeah. think that would be pretty wild. Yeah, he's sort of next level, big loss, but such an amazing canon of music he's left us. Mm-hmm. Do you have any pre-show tradition, or do you have any superstitions or good luck uh, rituals before a show? You know, it's always changing, and it depends on where I'm at. Like what kind of show it is and stuff, but um, I'll do like a meditation usually mm-hmm. before and just try to get centered. And um, I had a good trick from a, a life coach of mine who said that uh, a way to get centered is to name a few things in the room. I think I can't remember how many, maybe five things, but like just to really ground yourself because to be there. just yeah. to be there because you know uh, it can be such a, a out of body experience a lot of the time to be out to be out there doing what we do. So that's one of the things. Like before the curtain comes down, so to speak, I'll just sit there on stage and. And be like, okay, there's an exit sign there. Um, there's a guitar amp there. There's this there. Just name name five things just to ground myself. And Get you in your shoes. Yeah, exactly. And, and our jobs are super loud and, and tours can be exhausting. We all need ways to escape and recharge when we're not on stage. So what do you do to stay healthy and recharge? between tours. I do a lot of I do a lot of yoga. I do a lot of like just breathing, um, meditation, just again connecting, just connection. I feel like it's so easy to just we get so lost a lot of the time even when we're driving, when we're walking around, we're on our phones, we're we're not present. Uh, we don't pay attention. So I feel like a lot of the things that I try to do is to pay more attention to where I am, to what I'm doing, reconnecting with myself, reconnecting with people. You know, nature's a good a good one to do that. I like to unplug for a while, just kind of go off the grid for a bit and get off. I do this social media cleanse, take all the apps off my phone. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I know that you work at uh, the Cat and Fiddle Pub sometimes. Is that still the case? Do you yeah, sometimes I'll, work I'll, in there? I will, I will pour pints whenever they need my help if Is I'm around. Right? Yeah. Well, see, it's such a different world, isn't it? Because pub life and, and a great bar in the British tradition is all about communication and connection. And social media is supposed to be about that, but right. it really is something that's a little bit alienating for a lot of people. It's easy to get go down the rabbit hole and get mm-hmm. lost in that stuff. So if I find that happening, I'll, I'll just kind of disconnect for a little while and come back to life. And I mean, growing up in a bar, literally, it's like you grow up with people all around you and you learn how to connect in that way. And, and I'm grateful that I did have that mm-hmm. because, you know, that's what it's all about mm-hmm. is connecting with people. That's true. Yeah. It's the fine art of connecting. And what are you listening to these days? I listen to a lot of classical music. That's my go-to in the morning, afternoon, at night. I'll mix in, usually, I'll put in like a, like a new indie playlist or something on Spotify just to listen to what's going, what's on, going out there, on out right, there. In the rock scene or the alt scene or whatever. Yeah, just to get my ears on that stuff. But, but I'm just really coming back to the classical stuff. It's a way to sort of cleanse the uh, palate in a way. Yeah, it's inspiring for me. I, I paint to the classical music and mm-hmm. um, it just has a really wonderful flow that I love. 
And let me ask you this. Who would you go to see live if you had to buy tickets and wait in line with everybody else in the crowd with no super parking, no super VIP? Like Alive or Dead? Live or Dead. Led Zeppelin. Ah, good answer. And what's your favorite original song you've written and performed? Um, right now, I would say my favorite song is uh, a song called Dirty Bird that I wrote. Uh-huh. Is that out now? <laughs> it is out now, yeah. Fantastic. It's on an EP that I released um, last year. Well, thank you so much, Eva. It's been a, a real joy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's That's been a great. Pleasure. I'd like to thank everyone for listening, and a big thanks to Eva for joining me at my home in Santa Monica for such a sincere conversation. Be sure to check out Eva's solo music and amazing artwork on her website, evagardner.com. On Tour is a production of iHeartRadio and Black Barrel Media. This show is produced by Mandy Wimmer with executive producer Noel Brown, and I'm your host, Brian Ray. For more information about On Tour, visit our website, blackbarrelmedia.com. For behind-the-scenes photos from these interviews and to interact with us, visit our social media at OnTourPod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For more shows from iHeartRadio and Black Barrel Media, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. 
With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.